This is Episode 3 of 2500 Del Monte Street, the oral history of Tower Records. Today, our guest is Diane Ray from the Portland and San Francisco markets. Welcome to 2500 Del Monte Street, the oral history of Tower Records. I'm your host, Bob Zimmerman. I'm excited about today's episode. Diane Ray is one of those Tower general managers that I knew by name and by reputation. And Diane had an outstanding reputation as a leader at Tower. Starting out at Tower stores in Portland with a murderer's row of Tower Records legends, Diane truly made her mark in the Bay Area. She took the idea of making her store local seriously, going to great lengths to make her store as part of the community she worked and lived in. Like a lot of people, Diane looks back fondly on her time with Tower. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So here we go with Diane Ray. Please welcome to the podcast, Diane Ray. Diane, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. So, Diane, um, you're one of the people um, I've mentioned talking about this podcast. Uh, There's a lot of people um, that I felt very fortunate to work with. But more importantly, there's a lot of people that I knew by name, by reputation, um, people that you would see at uh, a Tower Annual Conference or something. And because those things were so crazy, never really get the chance to talk to. Um, but I, I feel really fortunate that we're going to be able to talk today. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, why don't you start off talking to me? Let, let's start where it kind of all begins. Um, what role did music play? Well, first of all, start off. Where did where did you grow up? Where, where were you born and where did you grow up? Um, Well, I'm an army brat, so I was born in Japan, just outside of Tokyo. My brother and I were both born there, and we moved around quite a bit uh, uh, in the U.S. um, until he left, my father left the military and then moved back to his home, which was uh, the Pacific Northwest. So we landed in the Pacific Northwest, (laughs) Um, and... um, and lived there for some time until I moved to San Francisco. Okay. So in your early years, what role did music or movies or books or popular culture uh, play in your family or, or did it? Yeah, absolutely. So music was everything <laughs> to my family. Um, my father, my both of my parents loved to sing, and so there's a lot of singing in the house. Um, particularly when I was younger, when my father was still living with us, um, my dad was really into Motown. Uh, he really liked vo- vocal groups of the '50s and '60s. You know, the, a lot of doo wop stuff and. Um, 
Um, and, and some rock and roll. We had that. I still have the eight track tape of the Creedence Clearwater, which was like our camping, you yeah. know, to, you know, tunes. Um, my mom was in love with Bobby Darren, um, but she was also a, uh, she sang traditional Japanese music and she uh, uh, danced uh, traditional Japanese. So she was a performer. She was also an artist. She was like this multi-talented person. She was a painter and yeah, all this stuff, but uh, lots of uh, singing in the house. I have, my mom passed away a few years ago and, um, I have uh, these reel-to-reel tapes that I haven't played, tried to play yet of all of us singing when we were kids. Oh, uh, that's amazing. My parents, yeah. So I'm looking forward to breaking that open. But even my grandmother, um, who's a very conservative person, we uh, I learned a lot of spiritual hymns from her. Um, and we just had a lot of instruments around. So we just, you know, music was was everything. Did, did you play any instruments? Uh, I tried to, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money. So, uh, I picked up whatever was around. So from my grandmother, um, violins and accordions, um, uh, and a piano, um, uh, were my first instruments. Uh, my dad played a clarinet when he was younger. So I picked up the clarinet cause it happened to be in the house. So I played that through grade school, um, I, uh, played in a Buddhist band at the Portland community center. When I was younger, I played the xylophone and, and some drums and uh, oh, wow. my brother was a drummer and, uh, uh, we had guitars, and, uh, I think a guitar and, and a ukulele. Um, when I was, uh, in middle school, a friend of my mom's gave me an acoustic guitar and then I saved every penny I had to buy an upright piano and a Gibson SG. And so, oh my I, God. <laughs> so, you know, not that I played it as incredibly well, but I, uh, yes, literally, and we had an organ at home as well. So, um, yeah. So basically, the only thing you didn't have was a tuba. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have any horns, you know, but we would have <laughs> played them if they were laying around the house, you know. Yeah. So oh, it that's really awesome. Was, kind of whatever we had or or could afford or or was given to us we we played <laughs> sure sure and yeah. and the the great thing about coming from a you know a household that that loves and respects music at a certain point you hit a certain age where music becomes less about your family and more about your identity mm-hmm. you may get to be 12 13 14 um mm-hmm. so it, and you know music's what you talk to your friends about um, what, what were, you know, when you got to about that age where music helped shape your identity, what kind of things were you listening to? What, what stations, what, um, what were you and your friends listening to? Well, unfortunately the radio had some pretty bad music <laughs> back then. And, um, you know, I was fortunate. There was a couple of things that, that I recall. One was, um, I had a friend, uh, her name was Brenda Savage, and uh, her older sister, Connie, um, ha- had a lot of records. And I remember sitting in Brenda's room just so I could listen to what Connie was playing <laughs> in her room next door. And she was playing things like Bruce Springsteen, right? And Todd Rundgren, right? None of my friends were listening to that. So I kind of got hooked on that and because... Uh, most of my family was, was Japanese, 
uh, I would spend a lot of my childhood in, in Japan and, you know, they're just music crazy there. And so, of course, I really dove deep into Todd Rundgren um, and then um, Queen, which was also huge in um in Japan. And so it was very influenced by that. Um, I, you know, they were, both of those artists are very, uh, uh, the songwriters, right? Like the compositions of the songs were really interesting to me. Right. So my friends were like listening to like foreigner and sticks and, you know, whatever was going on at that right. time. Um, so, so my identity was very different, um, um, musically. And I, and I worked at the Paramount theater, practice practically as a child <laughs> and okay. uh, uh very influenced by um uh, every all the live music that came through there so who did you well let, let's let's go back to to records and stuff like that so do you remember the first like 45s or albums that you bought you know i don't um i didn't you know have a lot of money to buy records mm -hmm. um i know that i got some pretty cool uh todd and queen vinyl when i was in japan because my my cousin bought them for me mm -hmm. um um so i i can't say that i had a great record collection at home sure um my uh uh brother worked at a couple record stores and would bring me home like whatever promos he had so i had a judy collins and i had a you know whatever he could bring home yeah um but we didn't have much right sure. and the radio was pretty limited so a lot of my record playing days uh when i was younger was when i was babysitting for other people okay all right <laughs> so you mentioned that you worked at the paramount theater in portland before you worked for tower um, and you said, do you, do you recall any of the artists that you saw perform that had, had an impact on you? Oh, so much. You know, it's interesting because I didn't know who they were at the time. Right. Sometimes, sometimes that's, that, that's <laughs> the best. Cause you have no expectations, but I also have no memory. I could, I can't, like, I could tell you, you know, it's, it's hard for me to relate it to the artist I know now, but gotcha. Um, you know, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Marley, Tom Petty, Blondie, uh, probably a million more, uh, but yeah. So you, I, you saw all these guys at the Paramount. I did. And what were you, were you like an usher? Or um, I kind tickets? of was, I, I, I did, uh, tickets. Um, I worked the, uh, concession counter. I mean, I was like a preteen. So they were paying me under the table. And I think honestly, the only reason they kept me on is because I was the one who was the most dependable and showed up every time. <laughs> so hey. They just kept me on. Yeah. 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 If they can count on you. That's awesome. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of, um, so even before you got to tower, you'd, you'd seen a ton of great music. So then, then you, and we'll, we'll touch on your career with tower, but do you have any concerts that you would consider your favorite of all time? Anything that, that, you know, maybe your top two or three shows that you've seen. That's really hard for me to say. I mean, I love still to this day, so much diverse music, right? It's sure. like hard to say who my favorite artists are. And I've been so 
blessed with so many promos and so many concerts. Um, it's that is really hard for me, but I but I can say um, that my excitement for live music has not waned at all in my late age here. So I uh, and I still find my best moments blasting music in my car by myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, so a trip to Sacramento. Sure. Yeah. That let's see how many discs is that, you know, in my mind. You know? Right. So, right. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's hard for me though, to pinpoint any favorites, you know, I've just seen so, so many. Sure. Sure. So, okay. All right. So um, you're working, you're working at the Paramount. Um, and then at some point, how do you first become aware of tower records? Um, my brother, my brother, Don, um, was, uh, uh, he had been working at DJ Sound City. And then this new great record store was opening up in Beaverton called Tower Records. And he got a job there. Um, but by the time he became the, a Tower video manager, um, uh, the Paramount was sort of being taken over uh, uh, and uh, was was being shut down. And I was incredibly depressed because that was my lifeline. And I was sitting at home being uh, in my little apartment by myself. And my brother felt sorry for me. And he loaned me a VCR player <laughs> and, you know, a bunch of VCRs and, you know, you know, sitting at home. And so he convinced me to uh, come out and do a tower inventory. So I started there. Oh, the indoctrination. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, so I did the, the inventory, uh, the infamous, you know, smoking lots of cigarettes, you know, <laughs> in the understock. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Exactly. Ugh. And then um, um, that then segued into Christmas help. And then I never left. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And and so you, so you got hired from there. And and who did who did you work with? Um. So Greg Hetrick was the manager at the time. Um. A really wonderful guy named Mark Fairley was the assistant manager. Incredible crew. Um. Stu Cook stands out. Um. Um, and Randy, Tim, um, my bestie to this day, Alan, um, my brother, of course, um, um, just a, just an incredible group of people. Great. And, and then, so what, what did you, I mean, you're, you're obviously a clerk and, and, uh, I, I had, I held many positions. <laughs> okay. So what, yeah. What did you actually, I, let's, let's go, let's go back just for a second to your time as a, as a clerk. So you're obviously, you, you say so you did the inventory, which isn't entirely indicative of what we did, but you, you did, you were, you, you said you did Christmas help, which is really getting yeah. thrown into the deep end of the pool. Yeah. So what, what, what are your memories of, of, of working <laughs> the holiday season starting yeah. out? Um, and what, well, what year was this about? 83. Okay. 83. Okay. Um, I, uh, I do remember <laughs> uh, uh, that um, I was the new kid and I was willing to do anything. So they threw everything at me. And I remember uh, during Greg's time there as manager, he was only the first manager I had there. He uh, would come into the room, into the store and say, manager's meeting. <laughs> and 
all the staff would flood outside and they'd pile into cars, Greg's car, <laughs> and, you know, plumes of smoke would be coming out of it. And I would be left alone. You know, you know, by the time they came back, I'd be crying. Right. Like, like, uh, you know, you know that when you haven't flipped the LP on the in-store play, you know, something's wrong. <laughs> right. You know, if you don't have time to do that, then, then you know that something's wrong. So, yeah. So I remember getting really upset one day when they all left me there during during the Christmas, Christmas. That's season nice. by myself at the counter. Um, but um, yeah, you know, just, it was a, just a kind of a, a crazy time. It was a small store. Um, um, so it was a good way to get my feet wet um, for the bigger stores I had later. Um, um, really tight crews. Some of the people were still um, had stayed from the original opening crew. So like Stu was from Sacramento, right? These weren't local people, right? There was kind of a mix there. So there was a really great uh, 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 staff that had opened that store. And yeah. um, I think pre-18, but something like that. Gotcha, um, yeah. And um, um, yeah, I mean, I think that 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 uh, I remember that Stu, Stu was a big part of my, you know, uh, Coltrane, learning Coltrane and jazz. And I'll never forget that. He's just really took me into this, this field of music that I didn't have exposure to. Um, I remember uh, Sundays opening on Sunday mornings when it was nice and quiet. And my friend, Ellen, who I think I mentioned is still my best friend. Uh, she uh, would open the video store on Sundays and I would open the record store to be nice and quiet. And she, and we'd play whatever we wanted. And she turned me on to Bruce Coburn and Johnny oh. Mitchell and just this beautiful, beautiful um, music I'd not been exposed to. And I was finding people like John Stewart and, um, you know, just beautiful Sunday morning music while I was uh, counting records because I was a billboard reporter. And if you recall, back in the day, we would report numbers based on physical counts of music and you'd write it down and then you'd right. fax it over to billboard. So that, so every Sunday, I remember that very clearly, the new music that I was being exposed to and just no customers really, you know. In the and that, that was the best time to do your count. Cause it was you, you weren't going to be interrupted and you weren't going to get calls from anybody or yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, and all those little things like finding uh, uh, those records stashed in different places that the reps would stash in order to, so you would miss the count and fudge it would their, look fudge, like sales. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So I do have, I, you know, my memory is not good in, in many things, but I do have really strong tower memories. Yeah. And then you were, um, you were a supervisor and a 45 buyer as well, right? Before you yes. did. And uh, any, anything stand out in, in regards to those positions? I loved being the 45 buyer. Uh, that was. Um, and that was, you were a billboard reporter for that. I was billboard reporter yeah. for that as well. Yeah. And that's where, you know, um, you know, one of the blessings of being at Towers that uh, the industry sold 
us records directly, right? So we established relationships with all these sales reps, right? And so I hadn't had that in my previous positions. And and so it was really wonderful. And a lot, and since Portland didn't really have local sales reps, they were either from Seattle or they were from the Bay Area. And so uh, when I eventually moved to the Bay Area later, you know, I got to actually meet and befriend a lot of those reps that were selling me records and, you know, uh, on the phone. So you already um, had a relationship with these people. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, relationships, actually, I'm thinking of Ellie right now, who, you know, really is still in my life. She was the Sony 45s specialist or exactly yeah. who yeah. sold me those records. So I loved that. Um, but my favorite, uh, uh, the, my favorite position ever, I think in my whole life has been record uh, rock LP buyer yeah. at, at tower. Yeah. What were, what were, so walk us through during that time. It's your favorite position. What were a, the big records of the time and B what any, anything where you were able to like something that you really liked that you were able to turn people on through like in-store play, even if it was just the staff, anything like that. Do you recall? Oh boy. I mean, I, my mind was really exploding at that time. Right. Mm -hmm. I was just, because I, I loved music, but you know, hadn't had a ton of exposure, right? Radio was very basic. Right. Um, there wasn't a lot of places to, to, to dig deep if you didn't have money to buy. Um, but um, the big record that I can think of that was, you know, number one for, I think, a couple of years, like it was just amazing was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah. Um, it, I remember um, Madonna's first record coming out and everybody thinking, oh, she's so alternative, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> not understanding she would become this sort of pop diva. Right. Um, the Crazy Eights also held number one for a very long time. They were a local ska band. Uh, also, some pals of mine at the time, um, Portland guys. Um if you don't know them, look them up. They're, okay. They're, I think they're playing again. I think they're actually together again. I think they kind of had kids. That kids are grown up, and now they're playing together. Yeah, again. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't seen them, but um, recently, but I think they are playing again. Um, um, they were huge, and I would, you know, I stacked them high, like Russ always told me. So uh, um, we sold a lot of that. Um, but see, that to me, that that was the beauty of. I, I remember when tower was going through its really tough time. And, and in New York, we were doing an in-store with Dwight Yoakam and it was, I want to say it was June or July. Dave Montez had come up for it specifically. And in the middle of his set, you know, Dwight Yoakam did like four songs and he stops and he gives the speech saying, Hey, we all know what's going on with tower records. Let me just tell you guys a story. When I was in Los Angeles and I took my first single around to all the record stores, all the cool indie record stores wouldn't consign my record, but tower records was the one place every location took it. So I kept sending people there and you know, what, what you did with the crazy eights and what, you know, the, the indie local buyers did all over the country with, with local music was, you know, really, really special. It was, and, and people don't understand what a pain it was to do all the paperwork, <laughs> but, but yeah. to Russ, 
and the people in the stores that didn't matter it was it was representing our neighborhood and and our music scene that was that was so so important i think that that was one of the uh one of many but one of the beautiful things about tower right it's that it really reflected the community that it was in you exactly. know i've been i've worked at some very very different tower stores and and um it's it's just incredible how they all really reflected you know the communities that they were in and we had that kind of control and it was wonderful i mean it's not been replicated since yeah yeah and then you so you you went you you had those positions and you ended up as assistant manager who was who was the store manager at that time um uh dave williams Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, was the uh, second store manager. He was the assistant manager for Rick Breyer at the Tower Portland store. And yep. so uh, Greg uh, uh, was let go, <laughs> believe it or not. I was told nobody was let go at Tower. <laughs> My first manager It, it felt was. that way. It felt that yeah, way. Might have been those managers <laughs> that he went to a lot. Um, but um, uh, uh, so Dave, yeah. So Dave became um, the manager uh, at Tower Beaverton when I became assistant manager. Okay. And yeah, I was, I, I, you and I were emailing each other back and forth about doing this. And I think I said to you, we could, we could do an hour on Dave Williams, but, (laughs) um, I think, I think everybody misses Dave. So, yeah. Um, so your assistant manager, and then, um, you go on to San Francisco. What, what precipitated that move? Um, I don't really know to this day. I, um, I give credit to Stan Goman. Um, and just cause that's, what's in my heart. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I got a phone call one day from, uh, Ken Sokolov and, um, but I had never met Ken Sokolov before. That's why I say probably it was Stan Goman behind okay. that phone call and said that they had an opening at the Columbus and Bay store. And would I be interested in coming down and doing an interview? And um, if you don't mind just stepping back for a second. So did, was it a a Stan and Russ visit that, that, you know, you were talking to him or how did, how did Stan come to recommend you for, for that? You know? Well, I, and I don't know that he did, but okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any other answer to, to, to why I got that phone call. Okay. Okay. Um, I had met Stan um, while I was at Tower Beaverton. I mean, I was a teenager, right? I was still just 17, I think when I became assistant manager and um, I was having a, a, you know, it was like, Stan's coming to town, you know, like everyone freaks out, right? like, like everyone freaks out. Yeah. You know? The manager has a heart attack. Everyone starts cleaning everything. Everyone starts freaking out because Stan's coming. And I don't know who Stan is. And um, I had already planned on having a staff meeting that day. And I didn't think that was any big deal. And um, so I'm standing there. My back is to the back room door where I'm in the back room and uh, the staff is kind of sitting on the floor in the back room and I'm talking and I'm 17 and Stan walks in to the back room. So he's behind me and I don't see him. He comes around and he sits down with my crew and faces me. <laughs> and now I'm supposed to continue with my meeting with Stan Goleman staring at me. And right. I, I, you know, I, that was 
one of the scariest moments, I think, you know, all of a sudden, all of this fear that everyone had had around his visit <laughs> started flooded over me, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think we've been friends ever since then. I don't know if Stan remembers that moment, but um, that was my Stan moment. And I think that, um, I don't know that, that, that was our connection there. So whether he was really behind me coming to San Francisco or not, I don't know, but um, I, I really, or, or maybe, you know, they were trying to get rid of me in Portland. I don't know. No. So you, 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 you got the call from Ken and you, you did the interview. So I flew down to San Francisco, never been to San Francisco in my life. And um, um I was considering moving on. I had, you know, looked at the openings at the time. I think San Diego had an opening. I think one of the Sacramento stores had an opening. And I remember sort of, you know, looking over those. Um, but I didn't see one for San Francisco. At the time, um, it wasn't officially opened. Um, and there was some sort of movement happening around. And I came down and had the interview with Ken Sokolov at a sushi restaurant, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I don't, I, I didn't feel like it was going well. Um, and that I had the right responses. It just, I just wanted to stand up and go, you know, sorry for your time and walk away. But in the end, you know, they offered me the job. And so went back to Portland and, packed up my bags and moved to San Francisco. So tell me about, you know, you've, you've got a decent amount of experience and, but then you go from, and, and Beaverton was a nice store and a beautiful community, but it's a small store. Mm -hmm. You're going to Columbus and Bay. You're, mm -hmm. you're in the major <laughs> leagues now. This is a, what, a top 10 store, maybe a top five store. I, I think so. Yeah. Top yeah. five store. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at the time, at the yeah, time, there weren't the that time. many Bay Area stores. Right, yeah. So right. it was, uh, uh, I went from 12 employees to 75. Oh, that's, that's a bit of a jump. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do you deal with that? How do you, um, who is, who is the store manager? Well, you know, regional stores at the time didn't have managers. They oh, so you were kind of like regional... the operations manager. Yeah, you know, they call you the assistant manager, but the manager is the regional manager, right? Okay. So there was no manager. Right? So, I, so I went I went through the same thing. And at that point, they called the position an operations manager, which was basically a GM in training. Mm -hmm. I that, got it, I mean, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. but the regional was out. So you were running the day-to-day -day operations. They got the final say on the big issues. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I got you now. All right. I didn't, I didn't realize that was okay. So yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me how, how did you make that switch? Uh, it was really difficult. I mean, you know, luckily I was young and stupid and incredibly brave, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, overly confident. Um, I was 22. Um, and the, um, it was it's it was difficult on a lot of levels. Um, one was that um, you know I'm uh, you know small physically. Mm -hmm. I'm Asian. I'm a woman, and I probably look like I was 16, right? Mm -hmm. And so that makes everything hard in business. 
And, you know, particularly back then, there were very, very few women in the industry as a whole. Um, and, you know, Randy Swindell was a hero of mine because she was like, you know, uh, uh, New York regional, Jennifer Hedgie was uh, Sacramento regional, right? Like my heroes, right? And Laurel Polson, you know, was uh, Sony in LA, you know, those are the few um, women really at that level and, and, um, very, very few. And so it was hard to be taken seriously, um, by everyone, the staff, the, I was probably the youngest one on staff, uh, when I came on board, um, and, um, by sales reps, by customers, by, you know, so that, so, you know, that was a hard ride and you just, you know, go out there and do your job. Um, so at what point do you think <clears throat> you won over the staff? When did, when did they start taking you seriously? And, and when did you notice a shift? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think that I, I work really hard. Um, I'm a good example. I'm a workaholic. I love working, um, particularly at Tower. <laughs> um, back then at, at Columbus and Bay, I mean, my 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 life it was a blur, very much a blur between work and my personal life. It really was, and you know, I didn't know anyone here. I just jumped in and um, worked as hard as I could. And, and I have to give credit to Ken, Kenny, Ken Sokolov, because, you know, he, he was a hard person to work for. He really had high expectations um, and uh, uh, really, really was uh, uh, tough at times and probably, you know, was the single person who made me the best that I could be. Um, uh, with Rudy Danzinger counseling me on the side <laughs> uh -huh. that, that period. Um, and, um, and just an incredible staff. I remember I I've made, have maintained friendships with some of those folks. Uh, Pamela Z who uh, was the tape cassette buyer at the time, who's now a world renowned performer um, and very well-respected performer. I remember um bumping into her one time and she said to me um, something about that. I um, brought kind of the heart to the, 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 uh, the store. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So maybe I brought something different because I was following Robert Olson <laughs> um, and um, you know, who has a completely different demeanor than I do. And sure. so I think maybe between, you know, Bob and, and Ken as a team, I think I brought something really different to the table. Sure, and, sure. And I think maybe eventually the the staff appreciated that. And um, and I, and I think I just lead by example more than yeah. anything, you know. Um, and I, and very much befriended many of those sales reps. I remember, um, you know, Chuck Wagner, still very good friend, uh, my WIA sales rep. We have this uh, thing. We tried to continue on. Um, maybe I'll reach out to him and try to do that. We call it the ICBV. And what that was, was when Ken Sokolov wasn't looking, uh, we would sneak out um, and go down to the Buena Vista, which was a, um, 
uh, popular place when the Warner Brothers guys used to to have an office down there, uh-huh. and they have world famous Irish coffees. So. Uh, ICBV was Irish coffee at the Buena Vista and nice. we do our new releases there. So he'd get me good and drunk and get a really good order. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, that's, didn't want me to go. That's with, how you hit your numbers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, just, um, good times. but I, you know, really, I, you know, it was a great team, you know, I mean, you know, Zach Ma and, um, uh, you know, Tony Rivera and um, uh, Brett Taylor and Tom Arangolo. And I mean, there was just so many people, right. Um, um, that were there that were wonderful. And we ran a one stop um, a 45, one stop out of the back room and supported all those DJ, the um, jukeboxes. Jukebox. Yeah. 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 So in our little tiny, tiny, tiny back room, we had three artists, be wonderful artists. We had the mm-hmm. one stop and we ran this huge amount of inventory through wow. that store. That was unbelievable. Ken, Ken and I shared an office and, um, and Deb Olinger was, was the assistant and she was, uh, uh Ken's assistant. Um, and, um, who, who reached out recently who, <laughs> and to say hi. Um, and, uh, so yeah, Lee Shoup was the one stop, uh, manager and Sarah worked there. Sarah uh, is actually a volunteer in my office currently now nice. uh, <laughs> that I see her every week now. Yeah. From the one stop back then, but you know, I, I learned so much there. It was just the, the, all of it, right. The sheer level of inventory that we turned the volume of transactions, the uh, amount of staff um, and being that store, that flagship store. So all of that attention. And I mean, you had to just be on because labels were there all the time and, you know, and you were going out a lot, which means you have to work more when you get back. Right. Yours are gone a lot, you know, being whining. To your point, you just said that, you you know, your personal (laughs) life and your work life were kind of blended. You're you're burning the candle at both ends. You're going to shows every night and it, People didn't understand. There were times where you literally went to shows as a favor to a label rep because they yeah. needed the manager of that yeah. store to be there so that they could tell people. Um, and, and you know, you're getting up bleary eyed and going to work. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't have to tell you, you, you lived it. But any, so thinking about that time, any, um, any big in stores that you did, anything that was, or, or any like, um, events with the record labels that, that stand out that was a lot of fun for you? I'm sure there were a lot. <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> um, I, I don't remember, honestly, at, at Columbus and Bay, um, a lot of, in, I know we did a lot of in stores, but I don't, I don't actually remember a lot. I remember really trying to, you know, stay above water. It was a big, big, big learning curve for me. And I I do think that one of my saving graces to to your point that you just said um, that um, sometimes we went out just as favors, right? So my thing to the uh, labels were, you know, uh, they say, Hey, you want to do this and you can go backstage and stuff, but do you need me to (laughs) would be my reply? You know, if you need me to, I will. 
Right. You know, um, I think that my experience at the Paramount Theater when I was younger um, kind of killed that sort of um, idealistic view of meeting artists. <laughs> Got, you know, you saw what really happened. Reality check yeah. you know, uh, uh, at a very young age. So I didn't necessarily opt to um, meet a lot of folks after that. But of course I, I did because that was my job. But yeah. 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 Cool. Um, and then you, 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 you know, worked at several other stores in, in the Bay Area. You, you worked at Stonestown. Um, Concord, you were there for, uh, for quite a while and, and then finished up at, at Castro market and Noe, um, talk to me about those stores and, and what, what you learned from your time at Columbus and Bay and how you put that into, into focus at these stores. What, what challenges did you maybe face? What, what were some of your triumphs that you were proud of? Um, let, let's touch on those. Um, yeah, so things started to change um, when uh, Ken Sokolov decided to move back to the Pacific Northwest, and that sort of did a, an unexpected shuffle. And, um, and so I went to Stonestown to, that was a new store opening. So that was my first new store opening. So lots of building racks, <laughs> lots of long hours. Um, um, but I was kind of opening it for another manager, right. That okay. because of this, this sort of shuffle and, um, um, so I didn't intend to stay there. Uh, that had a very cool young kind of, um, Asian hip hop neighborhood kind of thing. So a very different sort of musical style. Um, it was, I think one of the first stores with the good guys, it wasn't uh, integrated, but they were downstairs and we were upstairs oh, okay. in an independent building. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of relationship building I needed to do there. Um, and, uh, so I learned a lot, just, just a team came in just about building a store, hiring a new crew, all of that. This is where I met the, the, the wonderful, wonderful Chris Clark, who, um, came from Boston, uh, to come help us open that store who we end up working together later, who is just one of those inspiring, um, colleagues that I worked with, um, who, who was fantastic. That's where I met him and we drank way, way, way too much coffee, many coffee drinks together. And, and, uh, uh, uh um, um, I still actually have the plant in a basket that Fanny, uh, 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 sent for on, on behalf of Russ. Oh, okay. So, you know, I still have that in my kitchen, actually. Um, I knew oh, if I great. left it there that, that nobody would take care of it. So I took <laughs> it with me. Um, so that had an interesting vibe. And I learned a lot from the A-team and just building a store and, and a lot of that kind of thing. Um, and then I went to uh, Concord. Um, and I, I refused to leave San Francisco because I didn't mm -hmm. want to be banished. You know, I wanted to to come back. Um, so I continued to live in San Francisco and I commuted to Concord and that turned out to be one of the best things for me as well. I, I swear each job has been a, a huge blessing um, for me. Um, nobody came out there, including the regional manager. 
nobody, right? So I went from the Columbus and Bay hoopla to, to, to nobody coming out there. And it was a blessing because I really got to um, hone my skills as a manager without all that distraction. Right. And so had such an incredible crew. I, when I got there, I overlapped with Leslie Painter for a minute and she's wonderful. Also another um, female I look up to. And um, um, at that time was when um, Bob Federal got bumped up to, from LA to the main office and they split up LA. Or Delanoi, you mean? I'm sorry, Bob Delanoi got bumped up. And so then they split it up LA. And so Bob Federal, um, became regional manager and Leslie Painter became regional manager. So she and I just crossed paths for a little bit at Concord on her way back down to LA. Um, but there was like Perry Green and Troy Nelson and Jody and Lori and Nicole was like my, my, my girls, Lisa and, and Chuck and Jason and, uh, Craig and Dave and, Michael Joyce, one of the best artists I've ever worked with, and Becky, who went to the main office after that. I mean, lots of people. And Jennifer DeGraff, who was sort of our de facto always Tower employee, who was worked at Tower Concord, um, but then became our polygram rep. But she you. was embedded with the Tower Concord crew, I think, for life. Yeah. Um, really wonderful uh, experience there because I really did learn the business and uh, such a good core staff like that. I learned a lot. Um, Troy and I are very different people and I learned, you know, I learned different things from him. Right. Yeah. And yeah. It was the first tower store that I was at, that I um, had a bookstore. Karen Lieberger ran the bookstore. I love and, tower books. Oh, I, I, oh, it was great. I mean, I think maybe it's because we got so many promos and stuff, but my my account was just every weekend going yeah. there was a tower books in seattle and i just i to this day i think it was one of the best bookstores i've ever been in yeah i had so i loved it my tower account went skyrocketed <laughs> after going to concord yeah. and it kind of became a running joke but if you couldn't find me go look in the That's bookstore where, right, right. <laughs> You know what I mean? So I, I just, you know, so appreciate Karen and, and that crew. And um, now that was, you know, we had country in stores, right? Um, So that was really different and, um, and some different sales reps and, uh, you know, shout out to Gene, who is my BMG rep. I'll never forget the champagne that he brought me on my last day um, that we, you know, drank immediately in my office. You know? Nice. Um, and um, yeah, you know, uh, different things, you know, yeah. um, really, really got to have kind of own my own store you know and um without really much influence right um um and although you know ken sokolov is always on my shoulder you know telling me that ever turned off but um 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 yeah so so yeah a lot of learning uh thing things there um but then I finally got to come back to San Francisco and I got to go to market in Noe, which is just the absolute best place for me to end my tower career. Um, it was a store that was opening at the same time that I was at Columbus and Bay. And so we had all the, the, 
you know, the drafts of the architectural drawings and stuff on our office walls, you know, because I shared the office with Ken. Right. And, um, and so just kind of watch that grow. And so to be able to come back now, this is the nineties, right. And so it was the, you know, through the AIDS epidemic and being in the Castro district during the AIDS epidemic was really, um, you know, really affected me in many ways. Um, uh, we did a lot of community work. We got very involved with different AIDS organizations, labels. Uh, we partnered and had fundraisers. Um, we, um, it was just, we were the, um, you know, they kind of vote every year in the city on, you know, like the best place for, to be, you know, picked up, you know, and all this right. kind of They're stuff. Like a reader's poll. Yeah. So, so, so that store was always the top place for men to pick up men in the, in the whole city. Right. right. <laughs> it was the tower record store in the Castro. <laughs> um, I learned a lot. There was, um, you know, there was a lot of homelessness out there and, and it was quite a moving time for me. Um, in understanding uh, the AIDS crisis and just this reality where everybody everybody was affected. Everybody who walked in that door knew somebody or was themselves infected with this disease. It was before there were any treatments. Right, um, right. It, was, it was a really wild time. Um, and, uh, but also where uh, there was the most joy Right. Um, so, so much sadness, but people who know how to ex be expressive and emotive and um, and express joy, you yeah. know. Um, and so we had in stores with Boy George and RuPaul. Actually, the Boy George, we shut down Market Street because I knew my tiny little store wasn't going to hold as many people. Uh, that we're going to come out for Boy George and he was performing in the store. So I put the stage in the window, which is on the second floor and uh, over Market Street, which is a main thoroughfare in San Francisco. And um, so people stood outside and then I put speakers on um, the sidewalk, which I got in trouble with the police. Um, and, and I'm sure you're forgiven. They took me aside and said, look, if you get me an autograph, Oh, really? We'll let it go. Oh, that's amazing. That's <laughs> Isn't that awesome. great? I know. I know. I thought it was in big trouble. And so, um, but literally there were so many people trying to watch from outside, right? That that the crowd just shut the street shut down. down the street. That's so awesome. we had lots of fun. And yeah. I didn't know it. And we dressed up, right? So we, Malcolm McLaren, we created a whole Parisian scene and staff walked around. We were all wearing black and white stripes and berets and walked around with, you know, uh, uh, trays of water, sparkling water for him. And we had this, you know, um, uh, we got a chase lounge for Sandra Bernhardt and we got, you know, we, we, there was just so, we had so much there was so much sadness and joy in that store. Um, and, and that's where Chris Clark came back and ran that video store. He eventually became the manager when I left. Rick Oren came from, you know, was working with me then. My dream, my super team, dream team, um, Sue and Lance and Jenny and Gina and Anderson and Tim. I mean, they were, they were just all, um, 
um, wonderful, you know, yeah. so many of my, my staff, the staff that I worked with, you know, we're all, you know, I still, we're still connected. That's you know? amazing. Yeah. And again, yeah. I mean, what you're talking about for marketing note, like that's probably the, the things that you described and, and the atmosphere you and your team built, that's probably the only store in, in, in the country that experienced that. But then there were other stores that were, again, reacting to their neighborhood and, and their clientele and their staff. And right. uh, to me, that's just the beauty of what we were able to do, what you were able to do, what your team was able to do. That's just, that's, that's the thing that's missing from so much, so much retail. So that's, that's amazing. A, a, a couple of final questions for you. Um, talk to me about any of your interactions. You, you talked about Stan coming and sitting in on your meeting. Talk to me about your interactions with Russ. Um, I think it's Russ, you know, we know it's yeah. Russ's vision that made all these wonderful things happen. Yeah. Um, and in talking to everybody that I've been talking to so far, they've been passing along their interactions with Russ. And what what do you remember and and, and what kind of conversations and, and what kind of advice did he give to you? Um, well, we didn't have a lot of interactions, but um um, our, our interactions lasted beyond, um, my time at tower. Um, and, um, we talked about music. <laughs> he loved talking about music and, yeah. um, I love that and sitting in his office in Sacramento and, you know, listening to the latest stereo sounds, the equipment that he had in his he office. He loved to show off stereos. He loved his sound equipment and um and he just wanted to hear more. You know, what are you what are you listening to? And and really, you know, playing pieces of music and and just sitting and listening. And um, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a loner and I um um, and can, can tend to, to be fairly quiet. And, um, but talking about music with Russ was just so comfortable and so sincere. Um, and, um, you know, he, he's so wonderful. I mean, I, I would ask him to come to my stores when morale was down because, I knew without any sort of prep or prodding that he would talk to everybody, you know, and yep. he would make them feel um, important, you know, and he, he would, would listen, not talk, but listen. Yeah. What do you think about this? And how would you have done this? Right. And, and it always just up, I, I wouldn't have to do anything. I just knew when he came because he talked to everybody exactly the same way. And he has that genuine interest in people yeah. and their thoughts. And I loved that. And so I always would ask him um, the only time that I was frustrated about a certain circumstance. I can't remember what it was. I think I kept trying to expand the market in Noe's store because uh, it was so small for the volume that we were doing. I think everyone thought it would be the sleepy little store and it just exploded. <laughs> right, right. And um, um, at some point he just cut me off and he said, Diane, stop pussyfooting around. <laughs> <laughs> and I hear that in my ear 
all the time. When I get stuck, right? And I and my mind just starts spinning with all the reasons why I can't make something work. I swear that's when that comes up that, you know, just stop pussyfooting around, Diane, you know? And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, snap out of it. Just do it, you know? And so so that was my um, biggest lesson that I got from him from directly. Um, But I'll always love him for creating the landscape um, and for Stan and Ken to give me the opportunity because this is my family. And, you know, my family kind of fell apart when I was younger and my real family and that, um, um, you know, just felt a big disconnection when the Paramount theater closed. And um, this has filled my heart. Tower has filled my heart um, and everybody in it. We haven't even touched on all of the, industry folks or the headquarters people at the headquarters who just saved me you know Renee Gramacki and and all sorts of people and uh I I you know I mean just to provide that for us and allow all of us I don't know misfits to all come together and make something beautiful happen is kind of incredible yeah you know yeah um, but to I, this I, I don't day, see it being duplicated. Yeah. No, no. And it hasn't stopped, right? Yeah. Like we're all pretty connected. I was surprised to hear from you actually, but you know, cause, cause you're right. We hadn't, you know, been that cl- I was, you know, I was kind of a loner out there, but yeah. Yeah. It, you, you, you finished up your time in, uh, 1999. Why did you leave? Um, you know, I had been um, offered jobs along the way. You know, we worked with so many industry folks, right? Sure, I mean, sure. Tower was almost the beginning of all the industry folks' jobs like that. They all oh, started at Tower. Yeah. Um, but there, there wasn't any place that had captured my heart as much. And um, I could also see the writing on the wall for the music industry. And as much as I talked about digital music, that's where Russ didn't want, didn't want to have that conversation. So that kind of told me that my husband's also in the industry. He um, worked a long time at Universal and Sony. He's a musician. Um, and I thought, gosh, we're both in the same industry and I'm seeing the handwriting on the wall, maybe one, you know, um, but I, but, uh, before I got out of the industry, I went to, um, I was offered a job at Putumayo world music and, um, I was really, and I went and talked to Stan first. I went, made an appointment, sat in his office. Um, thanks to Wendy Powell, who always told me the right times to talk to Stan, <laughs> Which was? She was always my barometer. I'd call her. I'd say, I need to talk to Stan about this, this, and this. Is this a good time? No, I think you should try again tomorrow. Or, uh, right, you know, right. try after lunch. I'm sure he'll have a drink at lunch. And, right. You know. yeah. So she was, I'm, I, I'm very thankful to Wendy Powell. Um, we all are. <laughs> yes, I bet. Um, and so I went and talked to Stan. And, you know, um, I, you know, they... Putumayo would travel all over the world and gather almost like a international 101, you know, sure. in music compilations. They gather, 
different music from a certain area and they would uh, choose an organization in locally in that area where that music's coming from and donate back some of the profits. And, and so things like that, that really um, pulled at me. And, and so I thought, well, this, this is what, and I wanted an indie label if I were to go anywhere. And so, you know, husbands in the majors, you got to have some indie to sure. <laughs> balance know, it out, balance it out. Um, and so, so I took a leap of faith there and uh, it was a New York based company. And I thought I could use that growth and uh, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Um, any, anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to address that you wanted to talk about or. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I'm sure as soon as we're done, I'll think of a hundred things, but um, um, no, this has been, thank you for doing this. I, uh, I do think about tower a lot. I carry tower in my heart all the time. Um, it's such a part of who I am and so many people I've worked with uh, in and out of tower in the industry are still my friends. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, I can't imagine my life, um, you know, without Tower. And um, so I really appreciate, uh, even though it's a big part of me now, just appreciate me having to think about this a little bit prior to talking to you today. Sure. So I appreciate kind of taking that that dive down down that road. Um, Yeah, I... I, uh, it, what an experience, you yeah. know, what, what a blessing, um, for, for all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Diane Ray, I appreciate your time and I appreciate you sharing your story with everybody. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Bob. A very special thank you to Diane Ray for taking the time to talk with us. I'm grateful to this podcast for the opportunity to connect with good people like Diane. The greatest compliment I can make is that I really wish I had known her 20 to 25 years ago. 2500 Del Monte Street, the oral history of Tower Records, is a production of Busy Buzzy Media. A very special thank you to Mike Slomo Brenner. Uh, he provides our theme music and all original music for our podcast. Please follow and review our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. More importantly, please tell a friend or two about us. Check out our Instagram and Facebook pages at Tower Records Podcast. We're also on Twitter. If you worked at Tower and would like to share your story, send us some details emailing us at towerpodcast at iCloud.com. And finally, we have a related Facebook page. Induct Tower Records Russ Solomon into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Join us there in an effort to get Russ Solomon, founder of Tower Records, in the Rock Hall. I'm Bob Zimmerman. Thanks for joining us.